Okay, so we are continuing our series about NFTs and the changing marketplace that they seem to be, I don't know, encouraging, uh, fostering, um, hyping. I mean, there's a lot of words we can use for this. So for part three of this series, I invited a gallerist. Stephen Sachs is the founder and director of Bitform's gallery here in New York a veteran of the digital art space and also a leader in the field, I wanted to bring him in so we can ask him some questions. Hey, Stephen. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, it was a pleasure to have you here. So let's just start with some basics because a lot of people may not know Bitforms or at least mm -hmm. the work that you've been doing because as we know, digital art has been ignored for so long in the art world. And by that, I mean, not necessarily people knew it existed, people seen works in museums, but in terms of the commercial part of the art world, it's been sort of treated like the, you know, I don't know what to call it, like sort of like, you know, the the thing off to the side that sort of like feels like it's, uh, I don't know, you describe it. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I think that the way it, it's thought about today, but, but let, me, let me go back Very true. Um, and then we can get to that uh, point. So... Yeah, I started the gallery in 2001. Uh, just to go back a little bit before that, my parents were in the antique business, so I kind of grew up understanding the value and the business mm -hmm. of art. Of course, in, in my home, there were antiques, so I couldn't touch anything. It was kind of the opposite of the <laughs> immersive and interactive things that, that I deal with in some ways today. And did you grow up in New York or where did you grow up? I, uh, Brooklyn and then Long Island. Got it. Good to know. Um, so yeah, I'm actually third generation Brooklyn, which is, is um, awesome. I always got to throw that out there. <laughs> so, so I started a, a company before Bitform's gallery called Digital Pulp. And Digital Pulp was, was in a way kind of like the idea of the gallery where we were coming into a new market, trying to tap into this new dot-com revolution. Mm -hmm. And in the mid nineties, um, which seems so far away now, there um, were these businesses being created that were purely dot-coms. And I co-founded a company, the D Digital Pulp, and we decided to specifically focus on that type of company. And I was the creative director. And being the creative director, we worked really closely with an unusual team for uh, a company like this. It was beyond like a traditional agency or branding or advertising where we would bring technology people, programmers, illustrators, designers, photographers, writers, and I would be basically in the middle working with them and coming up with concepts that were connected to this, this new platform, which was, um, you know, the internet. Mm -hmm. And it was incredibly exciting. We grew to around 50 people. It was an amazing, like now, Wild West moment. And... I I kind of got burnt out after five years, and I decided, fortunately, right before the bubble, to get out. And I resigned. Smart from, move. I don't know. I was. It was a combination of being fried and had a gut instinct, and I just made the move. You trusted your instinct. Good. For you. Yeah, okay. yeah. But it was an incredible experience. I learned so much, and you know, when I left, I actually didn't know what I was going to do. But I was always interested in the arts, and again, my family was connected. So weirdly, at the time, all these shows started popping up around 2000. There was Bitch Dreams mm -hmm. at the Whitney. There was 010101 at SF MoMA. There was even a, 
a, a show called I think it was Digital Printmaking at the Brooklyn Museum. Yep. Literally like all the same time, and I'm like, what is happening here? And and because of this five years of of working within this space of tech and art and the creative process, I had an interesting perspective. In addition to this this right. uh, sensibility about you know how art has value and how how do, how do right. the artists um, you know make money off their output and but don't don't touch it <laughs> don't touch don't the art touch it yeah yeah so so maybe again that that stuck with me so I was like you know I feel like again it just it was an instinct it came to me after seeing these museum shows that it could be interesting to open up a gallery that had a very specific focus on new media. And that's a whole other conversation, the definition of new right, media, experimental right. media. I do not like the phrase digital art, which is obviously incredibly popular now. Because <laughs> um, for me, it's about, you know, I was interested in how artists from each generation was connecting to the tools that they had available that were typically like a, a new technology that they could use in their practice. And... The goal of the gallery, which is still today, is to work with a range of artists, a diverse right. group of artists from different generations, and to see how they interpreted that new media of their time. So new media can get old old very quickly, obviously, right. but it's still about how those artists used it and how they continue to use it moving forward. So basically, we we went forward, started the, the gallery, although I have to say it probably was the most challenging time anyone could open any business. 2001. We literally opened a month after 9-11. Okay. Yeah. So. Yep. Oh, I mean. No it, one was thinking about new media art, really. No one was thinking about anything I mean, any, else. Anything, yeah. and certainly any type of luxury item that, that I mean, that's just, it wasn't something that anyone should have been thinking about at the time and and it it was really challenging yep that's right now i also have a master's in business so i have an mba and i went back and like what what should i do here how do i address this and you know in any business whether it's art or, or anything really you have to have patience and, and a long-term plan right. and, and, and a vision that you stick to so I immediately, you know, stayed positive, knew I had something unique, knew I had to develop it anyway because it was a new industry for me. So I just I just kept going. It was an incredibly okay. difficult couple of years. And where were you the first? Where did the space first open? We were on West 20th Street, okay. which was Got also it. an incredibly different place back yes. then. Yes. Oh, wow. Um, in fact, the High Line did not exist, <laughs> which it, it was it was really special, actually. It, it was mostly warehouse buildings. Do you like the High Line, by the way? I did like the High Line. I know. I feel the same way. In, in fact, uh, yeah, I mean, this is another conversation. But but basically, the High Line became uh, too much of a tourist destination. Right. And actually, because of the High Line, too much development occurred and kind of kind of almost constrained the, the ability to enjoy it. But Yeah. And did you see the direct impact on galleries like yourself? You know, not really. And I don't know if my gallery is different than other galleries, but we're not like a blue chip gallery who gets, you know, a certain level of client all the time. So we don't really benefit necessarily from walk-in traffic. You know, I Got think it. people are interested in our program. And certainly over time that there was more interest. And I think people come to see what we do and they basically come just on their own. Yeah. Well, I actually thought maybe the opposite. Like people would be discouraged because sometimes the High Line could be such a shit show that it's like people would be running away and go, uh, maybe not this Saturday. 
Yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure yeah. some feel that way. But again, in the beginning, it was different because it wasn't um, a tourist attraction. So we were just getting more okay. more energy to the area. Okay, so you set up your gallery 2001 in the midst of one of the most difficult periods in the city's history. Now, how did you define yourself at that beginning? You know, or how did you think you were going to define yourself, and how did you end up defining yourself and what it is the gallery was doing? Yeah, well, like I said, I really wanted to hone in on a certain type of artist that wasn't necessarily um, being collected that much, wasn't necessarily being curated into museum shows as much as they should be. Right. And really the goal the first three or four years was about education, was about finding artists who had a serious practice in this field. Mm -hmm. And again, serious in different ways. Like the, the artists that we deal with are using new media in, in all types of ways. And some of, some of the output is actually of course, physical, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, yep. Addie Wagoneck, for example, she's yep. creating these, these paintings using Roombas and, right. and other materials and drones. And so it wasn't just about this blatant connection to technology where it's moving or it's electronic. It was about also making sure the gallery worked with artists that had a conceptual connection to media culture. Got it. And that was really, really important. And also for me personally, I, I didn't want to only show moving image work. I didn't want to only show electronic work. I wanted to show a broader practice connected to this media culture. So now, how was it selling new media art? Because I know new media art doesn't necessarily sell, you know, gangbusters like painting does. Mm -hmm. Those few first few years, I mean, not only was the city already reeling, how did you survive as a gallery? Well, again, I, I threw on the MBA hat and knew that I would have to um, sit back and build the concept for two, three years. But it built up pretty quickly. I think because we were so focused uh, and unique in that focus, we got attention. Mm -hmm. I think it's funny. We're still kind of unique in the focus because of what you say. I think it, it is more challenging. It is more difficult on many levels to deal with uh, media art, more more of the electronic and moving image. But... Yeah, no, we, we just felt that we, if we stayed focused and had a really smart, interesting group of artists, eventually we would gain traction. But really, again, the education, understanding how to buy a file, what is a file, how do you present that file, if it is, again, a file-based mm -hmm. piece, which I'm referencing because of yep. this new NFT explosion. So, yeah, it was really just about constant education and showing quality work. Okay, now let's, because we want to get up to the NFTs, but I just want to do a little bit of a very cursory timeline, right? So in that period, what were the biggest concerns? What did people want to buy that's say in new media? What were people interested in? What were you getting traction with in that early period? And then I want to skip ahead to around, you know, 2006, seven, mm -hmm. like the height of that bubble, that, and then we'll talk a little post, you know, I guess, recession, yeah. and then, you know, kind of more recently. So can you give us a quick sure. sketch of that stuff? Yeah, in the beginning, I think, again, going back to the, the idea of owning a file was was both intriguing uh, and challenging, and I think was something that was attracting mm -hmm. a new audience. Again, you know, going back to photography and classic video art, which was way before my time, those were good, were always good references for the gallery because those media genres were also, you know, looked down on for, for many years, had, right. had very little value. Laughed at a little bit too. Yeah, Let's laughed at. And, yeah. and again, this idea of 
which again comes back to what we're going to talk about in a little bit, authenticity. How can it be authentic right. when you right. can make thousands of copies instantly? So, right. so I think the intrigue of, you know, the idea of owning these files, whether it's computational or a video file, because we were focused mostly um, on artists who were doing a lot of that, that tended to be um, where a lot of interest was in the beginning. But yeah, I mean, again, it was more, I think that we decided to have a focus on this kind of artist that brought in the attention early on. It's like, what does this mean? So who what are the artists? Media? Who are the, some of the artists who oh, were gosh. working with well, early obviously, on? Obviously, Addie Wagonect, um, mm -hmm. Manfred Moore, who's in his 80s. Mm -hmm. So that's another a perfect example of someone who I wanted to bring someone who had an incredible history. Right. I mean, he did, I mean, actually a slight story I want to talk about with Manfred, like, he did a show at the Museum of Modern Art in Paris. I think it was uh, 71, 72. And it was all based on works that were created by the computer. And he was completely abused. Like people yeah. would write things in the, in the book, like completely negative terms. How can you, you create work with a machine? So this is kind of what, what was happening even earlier. So I wanted to bring in artists who had that history. Yeah, I love that, by the way. I love that it's like people had such a weird visceral reaction to it. Oh, especially in Europe, which is, you know, it's so traditional. It's not and, handmade. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they thought it was too academic and too militaristic. And, and it was, it was um, there was so many things that, that he showed me. It, it, it was fascinating. So you were conscious of like tying in that intergenerational dialogue too, pretty early, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, we have another artist, Beryl Carote, um, who also was very early on in one of the first uh, female artists dealing with uh, video art. Mm -hmm. Like amazing. I said, the, the idea was about uh, how each generation, and now we're having a new, a new thing happen right. now, that's each generation right. is dealing with like the next tool that's available to them. Right. So now we're at 2005, 2006, let's say. We're at the peak of what people call that early art market. Art fairs galore. Yeah. There's so much, there seemed to be so much money going around, or at least that was the perception. I mean, not that I saw any of it, but so what were people interested in then and what had changed and had anything changed among collectors? Well, you, you, first of all, what you said about the art fairs absolutely changed the business model. And we did very well financially during those times. It was a boom. It was crazy. I mean, it's kind of everything you heard was kind of true. You would just bring works there. I, I had a work by Daniel Rosen, who does these really incredible um, interactive mirrors made of natural materials. Mm -hmm. And I always felt also bringing my type of artwork to to these fairs, uh, we would we would stand out. And we did pretty well. But I remember Rosen's piece. He had a wooden mirror there. This guy came up. He says, I'll take it. I'm like, do you know how much it costs? No, he's like, it doesn't matter. I'll take it. Wow. It was like $120,000. And we probably sold like three of them back in the day. Wow. Um, so so really, people were really, I mean, so that those aren't lies. Those are it, just like people were doing that. It's legit. And, you know, those were really crazy times. And I think that's probably why, which they actually over proliferated, is the art fairs. The art fairs saw that. They saw this incredible moment, and that's when it exploded. Right. And obviously now, well, now it's gone the other way, but there were too many art fairs for many years to come after that. Yeah. But I think art fairs for me were great because I, I was able to connect to 
you know, more traditional collectors. They would actually see the work in person. They could understand whether it's a moving piece or not a moving piece, how it connects to my program. Of course, we had artists there to speak about the work. Sure. So the art fairs were a big deal for us in those 2005, 6, 7. And what were so what was selling then? Like, so what did people want to actually buy? I mean, pretty much all over the board. And that, again, these interactive pieces, computational work, video, even, you know, painting, sculpture. So they were, they were, people were pretty adventurous with their money. Yes. Again, then it was just a big market at that moment. So, but I'm just trying to understand, like, were people against the idea of digital files versus like, did they still want something more solid and like, you know, uh, physical or, you know, I'm trying to get an understanding of how this arc is working. Oh, well, well, we can preface all of this is that my audience, certainly for digitally uh, native files is much smaller than traditional work. Right. that, That we can say even today. Um, it's, it's just, you know, it, it's, it, it's improved dramatically, but it's still something that, you know, people need to understand how to yeah, manage, how sure. to, you know, what's the well, value. Well, I mean, the digital files don't look good on Instagram, right? Well, yeah, I mean. And, <laughs> or at least not the way they're shown. Well, that's the point. That's what we'll get to in a minute is how are these works meant to be presented? And that's a big part of what we do. You know, every time we work with an artist and even the show we have now with Aurea Harvey, you know, we spent 10 days installing the show because it needs to be, have a certain presence. You saw Claudia Hart's show it was all about that experience in person and the scale of the work and the quality of the work. Mm-hmm. And that's something we worked really hard on. So traditional collectors would have a sense of craft and appreciate right. it. So, okay. So now recession hits 2008. What happened after that? Like, <laughs> you know, because, you know, I mean, there were a lot of horror stories. People were really, really hurting after sure. 2008. They, you know, art fairs were concerned. Everyone was quote unquote concerned. What happened? I think actually being focused on new media, having a specific focus, kept us in business. If I was a contemporary gallery with a general program, I'd right. be out of business. Got it. Yeah. So... For me, I became, I had such such a following at that point where we we were okay. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that's interesting, you know, a big part of our business over the years, because as media art became more popular, corporate collections mm-hmm. became very interested in this kind of work. And they became very big buyers for the gallery. Huh. And if you think about it, think about like the dot-com or t- you know tech companies. You know, a lot of these collections are created to inspire their employees. That's right. So for them, they felt that what we were doing was inspirational because it was connected to their world. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that actually kept us also, uh, you know, above water for a while. So after the 2008 recession, we're back into the like the, you know, the last eight years, let's say, where there was another wave, it felt like, of activity. Now, what changed about that wave and the work you were showing, the work you were circulating? I mean, were institutions more interested? You talk about corporate, but were institutions knocking on your door more? I'd love to get a sense of that so we can set the stage. Sure. Well, again, I think the gallery matured, the programming matured. We definitely had more museum interest. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of museums started to see that when they were doing these more experimental media shows, they were getting a really big bump in attendance. Mm-hmm. So that certainly must have had some influence on them looking at what we, we were showing. But in general, I think we matured, had the, the artist group continued to grow and thrive. 
And I think at that point, you know, we, we had a pretty solid program. Right. So then, but did the type of work change? Like, were people more <clears throat> open to different kinds of work? Less, you know, I mean, I, I guess I'm trying to understand, like, so we can set the stage. Yeah, yeah. I think the, one of the big things that's changed in terms of what we offered, which I think has been one of the most exciting things, is the concept of generative art. Mm. So in the beginning, we really didn't have that much generative. And as the years went on, the computational power became more accessible. The artists became more comfortable coding. Mm-hmm. We wound up working with the more artists who were comfortable coding. And generative art, for those who don't know what that is, is, is artwork that is it's, it's um, computational. It's written in code. And basically, the work typically will never, ever loop. It's, it's right. kind of alive. It's dealing with data sets that can either be real-time or fixed. But these data sets are constantly intermingling into the composition of the work. Right. Hence and, being generative. Hence being generative. But some people don't <laughs> no, combine generative. Yes, on art. Yeah. I'm just connecting the dots for people. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, so that has been really exciting uh, on every level, from, from private to corporate to, to museum. I think there's a real intrigue in this idea of software being art, really. Right. And almost having its own life, in a way. Yeah. It's like, I do love that aspect of generative art, where it feels almost like you've sort of given birth to something that keeps growing, in a way. Oh, yes. Absolutely. And I think that was very appealing to to collectors to be able to to live with a work that doesn't you know ever stay the same right will never look the same absolutely (laughs) okay so now we're at this moment yeah pandemic hits i'm assuming like every gallery you you and every business i mean we had the same issue shit hit the fan a little bit you know it's like you're like wait a minute what do we do now um, I think galleries might be actually maybe all of us a little bit in a in a different scenario than some of the other industries in that there's because just like we're online, you're dealing with new media. Maybe there was a, like a, a new resonance. I mean, why don't you say it? Like, what, yeah. what was the pandemic experience like for you so far? Well, yeah, as you said, it was clearly not not good for anybody. Um, I think the arts got hit probably maybe harder than others. I don't know, but we definitely got hit hard. I mean, we, we basically, we were installing a show by Daniel Kanagar. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of installation, the art, the artist and the art installer had to leave because they were from Spain. And basically, they potentially could have been locked down here if they didn't leave. So we had to continue installing the work while they were gone, which was stressful, complicated. And then the work wound up staying up for six months <laughs> Wow! because we were technically closed for most yeah. of that time. So, yes, huge challenge, certainly financially was was very difficult. But, you know, I think we were really well, well positioned to to probably um, take advantage of online programming. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had uh, a really great staff who was able to come up with great curations, team up with partners who, who basically created some of these these virtual uh, exhibitions that we experimented in different formats. And, you know, we, we got a lot of good exposure, write-ups. I think it was still very challenging to sell, but we stayed relevant. And that was the key for us. And we wanted to stay at least at a high level from a 
from a media perspective. But how did you keep the lights on? I mean, I know that we're all businesses and we all, you know, try to have reserve funds. But the reality is, like, were people still buying? I mean, during that time that you could keep the lights on? I mean, this is not an easy thing. Like, no business in New York, at least none of the ones I encounter, have a really long, uh, you know, a runway, right? You know, to be able to deal with these things. So, Well, it was not easy to keep the lights on. It's still difficult. It, it's not over. Yep. Um, no, I had to dip into my own funds and, and make sure that we stayed stayed alive. I was also fortunate. I mean, I, I really was intent on not letting any of my staff go. Mm -hmm. So we, we cut back some of their That's hours. That's awesome, by the way. Thank I you. totally believe in that too. That's yeah. Awesome. So we did everything I could to keep them on board. So again, we reduced their hours a bit, but we we're still together. We, we came up with a great plan for offsite working. And yeah, I think it's starting to feel better again. We're definitely getting more interest. Sales are picking up. Again, just like from the beginning, I had to stay focused, stay true to who we are. And, and I think, again, now that this new burst is about to happen, <laughs> we hopefully will we'll see some benefit from it. But um, yeah, no, we got through it. Kudos. So, okay, so now 2021 hits the NTF apocalypse happens or whatever this NFT. is. <laughs> NFT. Sorry, NTF, I was saying. I was more like more WTF maybe. I'm sure that's <laughs> exactly. And NFT apocalypse hits. So what is it? I mean, Steve, like, do you want to explain, like, first of all, your experience of this? Yeah. Because this is something you knew it was in the pipeline for quite a while. This yeah. is not new for anybody who's been paying attention, even though some media headlines pretend like it's like the new kid on the block. Well, again, I'm not a technical expert um, like some other folks. And I know Addie Wagonect, she's both an artist and really savvy on the tech side. But I do have a strong sensibility about what's going on and, and the concept of a file as represented a piece, as a piece of art. Right. And that's, to me, first and foremost, is this concept of a much bigger population now understands that concept of a file can be art, software can be art. And pretty much every artist we've ever worked with has been doing that for, for many years. The difference is now there's a connection to a very hyped and popular um, new currency, which is crypto. And what they're calling crypto art, which is something I, I, I also have no... I don't favor that term, basically. I, I feel like crypto art is, is immediately negative from an art perspective. It becomes about currency. It becomes about market. It, it becomes about value. Security. Security. <laughs> it's, it's, it's something that you don't want to start the art process with that. Right. You want to start the art process with a connection to the work, and then value comes after that. This is the opposite of what's happening. So on my end, there's a frustration with an understanding of what quality is and an appreciation for many, many, many artists out there who have been creating media art for 10, 20, 30 years who are now looking at this and they're seeing a JPEG or a five second animation sell for millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And there's something just broken there. Now, that, that, that being said, I think there are talented people who are uh, what they say, dropping work on these on these platforms and minting, 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 minting. and dropping. Um, We're gonna get really we tired get of those words in the new phrases. <laughs> so there is talent out there, but but to reveal that talent through a small image or an animation is one aspect. 
mm-hmm. to this. I mean, I the way I'm talking to my artists is really, if they want to do it, fine. I think I'd like to be aware of what they're doing and, and hopefully guide them. Right. But we do feel that they should be empowered to experiment because it's new. But we also feel the most important part of this, at least for practicing artists, is to show what you have done. Show what you're doing in your practice. Right. Give Give this this new way of reaching a market insight into who you are and what your work is at a much deeper level. So I look at it as almost a promotional tool for their larger practice. That's a great, great point. So Steve, part of the question I have here, because I mean, one of the reasons I'm doing this series is it's, it's kind of a funny thing that this is a field, or at least it's starting to feel like NFTs and the sort of platforms that support it are looking like they want to create an industry or a market more than an industry, a market that cuts you and me out a little bit. Do you know at the end of the like they want to cut out the art critics, they want to cut out the galleries, they want to make this kind of almost like Silicon Valley vision, you know, of like, oh, yeah, just the creator and their market and money and lots of money. That's, you know, sorry, I don't know why I'm giving them that accent, but, it, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the accent that came up. And that's kind of like the, the thing, right? That's, that's really what they're kind of interested in. They actually have no interest in publications unless it's just media, press. And, you know, it's one of those things where they don't probably even care what the source is, right? They just want something. Yeah. So now, how do we function in this? Because, you know, I can't say I, it feels a little hostile to those of us who are not like the platform, mm-hmm. right? I actually am not afraid. I think it's, you know, I, I roll with the punches and trust me, there are a lot <laughs> crazier things that have happened. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm not concerned at all. But at the same time, they are hostile to what sure. it is you do and I do. Yeah. Well, any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think you and I and, and others doing what we're doing, I think will in the next three to six months will absolutely become necessary. I think even what I've seen, just as some of my artists have been uh, minting works, the amount of artworks that are now being um, uh, minted and revealed on these platforms is growing exponentially. So now these artists are getting lost. There's no, like, these early days... It's a dump site a little bit, right? Well, what's (laughs) happening is it's just challenging to to go, go through and see, again, whether there's quality, whether there's something interesting. It's going to come down to to celebrity culture, right? Mm-hmm. And, and do you have the most followers on Instagram or, or Twitter, etc.? And that's when galleries, institutions, critics, writers, hopefully are going to start writing about interesting things, and, and those paying attention will start to listen. And they could still make their own opinion, but at least there'll be some... Uh, rigorous discourse in in what's happening right now. It's nothing. It's again. It's it's it's. There's no it's money. It's money. Th- I'm saying there's no yeah. connection. Like they don't care what the art is in many cases. No. There and so I've even heard there are bots buying these things. Like it's seriously. <laughs> there's bots buying uh, NFTs because they're going to buy them bots. and then resell them. Collector bots. Collector. I bots. love that idea. Um, but which actually kind of sounds like it's sort of this sort of thing Wall Street would invent, right? Yeah. They're like, we're going to create a bot to buy and sell NFTs within a few split seconds and make 10 cents on it. But then we're going to do a billion of them and make, you know, $10 million or whatever, you know? Yeah. No, I think that, that again, the current way that, that most of the platforms are formatted with this, again, with JPEGs and short animations, I think there could be some interesting content there. 
Uh, and I, and by the way, I'm I'm always looking, just like I've looked at previous generations. Yep. I may find an artist who maybe starts in the crypto world. That's right. And and if they want to have a bigger practice, I would consider looking at them and and helping them. So I am interested in that. But in general, the way things are formatted today, it's very much about this this quick look, this quick collect, and that's that's not how you make art. You know, you, right. you don't make art with constraints. That's the opposite of art is having no constraints. So I think what's being revealed, at least how the current systems are working, um, you know, is not showing uh, the most of, of, of what these media artists can do. Hmm. That's an interesting way. So have you sold any NFTs? Well, so interesting. So the way the culture is working now, the gallery has not sold any NFTs, but our artists have. Hmm. So... The current way the collectors like to operate is they like to get the work from the artist's wallet. Mm -hmm. So we've only had a few artists actually do NFTs, and we've let them do it on their own. Actually, Sarah hasn't even done one yet, but Jonathan Monahan has been doing them with Foundation, and he's been doing pretty well. He mm -hmm. sold all the ones he put up. Wow. His work is very well suited for yeah. the aesthetics of that audience. Yeah. But we worked at a, a percentage deal with him because really this is where, again, the gallery is also still important, where we're still promoting the work. Right. It's still essential that we get behind a bigger body of work. Right. And what recently happened is someone came into the gallery because they lost a bid on Jonathan's work and said, I'd love to see what you have by Jonathan. We, we loved what we saw online. Oh, wow. So that to me was a moment. That like, never occurred to me. That's really fascinating. This is it. That was like, like light bulb went off. I was like, this is how we're going to use this. Because what I was saying earlier, yeah. it's a glimpse into their world. Yep. And those who are real collectors no, and maybe start no to doubt. play in this NFT space, yeah. they're like, oh, this is fascinating. What do they actually make? Do they have prints, sculptures, videos, interactive? So and essentially your storefront just got bigger, really. Well, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, essentially, potentially my, my market got bigger because now there's a new audience of, of millions of people That's awesome. who have eyeballs on this stuff. And I'm hoping a small percentage will be, you know, more serious collectors and want to know what these artists are doing. So earlier you said something like better suited for that audience. Who are you seeing the audience for NFTs right now? What's your perception? I mean, we all know this is subjective. There's no one, you know, has sure. like a... Com what, what is that audience? Well, I think it's, it's an audience that isn't as, you know, typically connected to the arts. Right. They're not necessarily uh, coming from a collecting background. They're not researching. They're not necessarily going... I mean, I'm sure they go to museums, etc. But, you know, collectors are a certain type and, and they pride themselves in, in connecting to the artists, to the galleries, to the museums. So are these like Reddit collectors? I mean, I, I'm trying to give them a name because, you know, with all the stuff with GameStop and stuff, you kind of wonder it's like, because it feels so connected, right, to that kind of energy a little bit. I... Well, we talked about earlier that it's, it's clearly the crypto right. market, right? Crypto right. needs to have a place to spend. Right. They need credibility for their wow. new currency. Ooh, wait, you just tapped into something. I mean... Is that it, what they're doing with the arts right now? I think that's a part of it. I think that's definitely a part of it. That's a really good point. I never thought I, of it I, quite I, that way. I, I, I think that it's a way to show how the system can work, right? Because right. crypto... And humanize it. 
humanize it, create hype and buzz. And, and listen, I'm a big fan of it, it coming through the arts. That's great. I mean, again, I think things need to be tweaked a bit. But the fact that arts are a part of this and we may bring in new collector support, philanthropic support for uh -huh. the arts from crypto rich people, that's amazing. I think the bigger issue is, again, how do you um, educate, just like I did back in the day in 2001, how do you educate this new audience as to what they're actually buying? How can you go deeper? How can you support the artists in a way beyond this quick monetary flip? And that's really... Um, hopefully what's going to happen. That's really, that's, that's really, really interesting. So, okay. So now what are your fears with the NFT market? Do you know? I mean, uh, of course, because, you know, in the case of what we do at Hyperallergic, you know, I, I have to say that the art world has felt very kind of crappy for a while because I think uh, art publications aren't really looked at in the same way, like as part of the ecosystem, the, maybe the way that they may have at one time because of social media and stuff. And I actually think that's just more of a challenge that I'm like more than happy to, you know, work on. But, you know, there is a little bit of like, you know, around the NFT, this idea that the critic, and frankly, I am dying to kill the traditional critic because I, I don't know there, whether that serves us <laughs> yeah. quite in the way that it needs yeah. to. But, you know, the, the critic really is sort of being seen in this oppositional way and is not really sort of embraced. Maybe that's the right, the right term. As someone in the gallery world, are there similar anxieties? Well, as, as I've been saying, I think the current system as it is today is not representative of uh, the wide body of quality media mm -hmm. art. Mm -hmm. and, and the fact that everything is about is surrounded by money and, and again called crypto art is is something that I'm hoping will evolve and evolve soon. There's I mean that's that's really my concerns are are that it's it's too much about money and flipping. If you think about flipping in the traditional art world, it's the opposite percentage really of flippers. Flippers are are, are typically a smaller percentage. Right. The other percentage wants to actually hang it on their wall, live with it, love it, connect to it. I mean, that's what art is, right? right. And, and that part of it, um, I don't know, maybe what's going to happen is NFTs become like a trading card collectible model, and then there'll be a new model, a new platform maybe that I'll get involved with or some others where they're going to show more legitimate work, you know, right. and it, it'll go a bit deeper. It'll have a critical element to it. And this other world will stay active. There'll be the Grimes you know, drops and, and other celebrity drops that are going to do their thing and people are going to want it. But then it's going to shift towards some other works that have more, you know, depth to them. Yeah, I mean, talk about, I mean, all that work has been pretty bad. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it's sort of, it's all, all over the place. But, well, it's so much of it, you can't even yeah. track it. I mean, it, it, it's... Um, Which brings up a good point and an interesting point. I wonder, is this sort of the natural evolution of the Freeport a little bit? Like, you know, in the Freeport, people would buy work and put it straight in storage, right? Yeah. And it's like now it's like you're not even I mean, that's storage is what it is. You know what I mean? It's like there's no transportation costs left anymore. You're like just in storage permanently. Yeah. Well, I think that's the other thing that's very, very important to the gallery and the artists we work with is is presentation. Mm hmm. I mean, it's just like any medium, you, you want to feel comfortable with how that person is looking at the work that you created. And whether it's on a certain size screen, quality of image, uh, audio system, it's, it's super important that that 
gets discussed and and changes over time because right now there's a lack of concern for presentation and uh, how someone can appreciate that work in their physical space. So have, do you have any ideas about showing NFT work? I mean, or have you been grappling with this at all? Because I mean, I'm sure that's going to be an issue coming up. Like people are going to want to see some of this work. Yeah, well, well I've been consulting for a long time with a company called NIO, mm-hmm. N-I-I-O dot art. And they have an interesting platform where they have a, a collection tool that deals with management um, and collection and presentation of media-based art. So I'm discussing with them interesting ways to do that where you can basically uh, cast it to your television. Yep. So you could basically have a curated selection of works. But again, it doesn't have to be in the format of the existing NFT. It could be something that is a more legitimate proper media file. But there's absolutely going to be a range of um, ways to present and experience this work. And I'm hoping that happens because I think then we're going to get maybe a little bit of an emotion here, not just a money transaction. Mm, Makes sense. Yeah. So now, do you own any NFTs? I don't because I own many media art pieces. I don't need to own an NFT. <laughs> you know, I haven't I haven't taken the leap and bought one either yet. Yeah. I don't know I don't know why I'm resisting because I mean I bought gifts before. Do you have are you do you have crypto? I mean would you buy it with crypto? I mean I don't have crypto, yeah, but yeah. I mean I, I don't think it's so hard to get. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like but it's it's just the question of like what it is that I would want to buy. You know? I'm not quite sure yet. Yeah, well you're probably not the typical NFT buyer. I mean, you know, again, these a lot of them are already in crypto. They're comfortable with crypto. They're right. comfortable with this market system. Yeah. Um, I can't say I'm uncomfortable with it. Yeah, I just, I don't yeah. think it's so as unique as some people make it seem. And I know technically it is in different ways. But yeah. as, a, as someone using it, it doesn't seem that different, yeah. to be quite honest. But yeah. maybe I'm wrong. Dive in. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So now what should artists know about? this that maybe a lot of the media headlines have not been capturing or some of the concerns because you know I'm still waiting for the real exploitation to kick in because systems like this don't aren't created without people being exploited sadly yeah what should people be looking out for well again I'm not an expert in this area but certainly there's these um, environmental concerns that mm-hmm. I would say the majority of my artists are questioning mm-hmm. I think there's there's two ways to look at this. You know, there's a lot of environmental issues with doing an art fair, mm-hmm. traveling on planes, Absolutely. making crates, shipping crates. The garbage that's produced from every fair. The plastic for packing. Yep. Yep. So I, I think in general, the, the um, you know, there's going to be negatives in, in everything, especially something new before efficiencies mm-hmm. kick in. So I don't think it's fair to be so uh, outspoken against certain artists, you know, that are doing this because they feel like they finally have a voice, they finally can do something, they finally can make money doing, say, a digital file. So I think there's a, there's a, there's a sensitivity there that the artists going in, they should be aware of. I think they should be doing their research. But I'm not sure they should not do it. You know, I think this is really the big question. Like, mm-hmm. do I just not do it because there, there may be con- environmental concerns? So I think it's a tough call because think about the opportunity as well for an artist who may really be able to pay certain bills and make money and survive off something that in the past may have been a challenge. So that's something, you know, in terms of artists looking at it and trying to go in. 
And then, like I said, I, I, I feel like the this is just a, a window into their bigger practice. Don't look at NFTs. Don't become an NFT artist. You know, become a media artist if you want and develop your 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 bigger body of work. And NFTs maybe are an aspect of that, but don't have that constraint. And that's really always uh, important for me. So has this impacted the way you see Bitforms functioning in the next year or two? I mean, uh, has has any, because you know, I, right now we have been seeing a couple of more established New York galleries closing up. Um, some of the more traditional ones. Frankly, I wish some of them would close up faster. Because, oh. Well, I mean, I, I don't mean it to be mean yeah. at, I, at all. I just mean that I do think that that sometimes these organizations can keep us back a little and still promote a very traditional idea of art and all these sure. types of things. And I don't necessarily think that's productive either. So sure. I, I mean it in that way, not so much. And I don't want anybody to lose their job or their savings yeah, no, or anything. Yeah, so anything in the cards for Bitforms in general that you're just sort of percolating? Well, well, I do believe this is a moment. It just needs to be um, massaged and managed and understood. The fact that there's a new understanding and an appreciation for digital uh, having relevance and value. To me, that's the high level of opening the door to potentially collectors who may want to look at more serious work. So I think the gallery is in, a, in an interesting uh, position right now to educate and to showcase um, a pretty serious group of artists who've been doing this for a long time. Mm. So I'm really excited for that. I, again, I don't know how that will reveal itself over the next year, but that's the goal. The galleries, we're staying focused. We're not going to dive in and do, you know, all these crazy drops everywhere. We may experiment a little bit, but I, I really want to wait for a moment that showcases the quality and integrity of, of the artists we're working with. That's all. This all sounds. It's, it sounds like what a gallery should be doing, <laughs> to be quite honest. <laughs> so now, how do you think people are finding art now when it comes to this? And how has that changed in the last decade or two? Do you know? I think part of it is, is the question of how people are interacting and finding the work. Are you finding people coming to the work through social media? Are they coming through publications? Are they coming other ways? Like, can you give us a little insight? Sure. Well, again, you know, during the heyday of the art fairs, of course, that was a great way, but they've slowed down quite a bit. Social media, absolutely essential. You know, Instagram is something that, that seems to be uh, favored by the art world. Well, the some, other some in the art world. Some in the art world. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. It, it seems yep. to be the, the tool, at least, that gets a quick image out there and starts a conversation. But, you know, there's stuff like Artsy, which which we're working with, which, you know, is, is sometimes useful for us. You know, these, these they have like artificial intelligence, you know, trying to target potential buyers and showing them works that they think they're interested in. So, so does that work? Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. Sometimes. Yeah. So it, it's it's. Yeah, no. It's, so it's multi-prong like everything else. So many different Yeah, projects, no, but it's yeah. something it's 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 something that we've been doing for a while and and sometimes it does well, sometimes it doesn't. Right. Yeah. So now one last question during this pandemic. Have you seen any major shifts that you've sort of just taken note of that you thought, okay, I'm going to think about that more. Like have you been seeing people who would never buy digital works or digital uh, digitally you know, based works, 
uh, I know you hate that word. So, <laughs> um, you know, that we're never looking at it before. Have you seen any kinds of shifts that you think are notable? Absolutely. I, I think the getting back to the, the, the press that's happening around all of this, it's it's now a global phenomenon. So you're talking about hundreds of millions of people are now speaking these NFT words. And there's always going to be a trickle down from mm -hmm. that. And that trickle down, we're starting to see a little bit of it. We're starting to uh, sales seem to be increasing oh, a little bit. I hate that term, though, trickle down, but I get it. <laughs> Sorry, but it, it's, it's, there's a relationship to the totally. press that is occurring right now. Because when you hit popular press versus art press, right. you're just reaching a wider audience. And sure. a wider audience means potentially, you know, gaining interest in, in new people. And that's always exciting. Again, even if it's a small percentage, it's still a, a percentage forward versus backwards. So. Right. That's the biggest thing. I, I think it's just so, at least for my gallery in, in, in media art, there's just a new level of curiosity that, that people want to hear about. Sounds good. So do you just want to say where your gallery is? So those who want to uh, want to check it out as well as the URL so they yeah, can yeah. check it out? Sure. So we're in the Lower East Side, 131 Allen Street, and it's uh, bitforms.art. And we have a show up now with Aurea Harvey, which just opened. So please come by. Great. Thank you, Stephen, for your time and for coming in and helping us think through some of these ideas and how they're impacting art galleries in New York and elsewhere. Sure. Thank you. My name is Harag Vartanian, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of Hyperallergic. Thanks for listening and stay safe. And don't forget to get vaccinated.